Hey guys, and happy Wednesday. Welcome to Viva Por Vino, a podcast about wine. I am so excited for you to join us this week. Um, I would like to, first off, just say thanks. Um, I've been getting some people who have been reaching out to me saying, Hey, I listened to your podcast. It was really cool. Um, can't wait to hear more. Um, I'm really enjoying this. And I think the biggest piece of what I'm enjoying about this is selfishly, I'm learning a lot more as we're having these conversations. So I'm doing a little bit of research prior to, I'm going through books, I'm getting a little bit more curious about different varietals that I hadn't looked into before or haven't tried before. Um, There's so many different wines out there. So today's episode and learning experience is titled Sweet or Dry, A Glass of White Should Always Be Tried. No, I'm not that clever, so I totally give credit to the Google machine for that one. Um, But we're going to talk about white wine today. And as promised, we're going to talk about red wine next week. So we're really going to start to dive in. Now, today I want to kind of give a little bit of a review about the winemaking process for white wine. Just to touch on it. Um, We've touched on it a couple times in our becoming a winemaker process. So um, I'll touch on that. And then I want to talk about some of the more popular whites. Um, Maybe some of the not so popular ones, but more recognizable. Um, I want to make this easy for you so you're not going into the store and just being like, I need this random wine that I can't say the name to. So Um, Some of these I am going to spell out for you as I say them. Um, I mean, a Gortstraminer. Most of you aren't necessarily able to spell that out. So um, keep your notepad. Get your journal out. Um, I'll give you some of my opinions on some wines that I like when it comes to the white wine side of things. But I'll be real, real honest with you. I learned wine and I learned big Napa Valley Cabernets first and I was kind of spoiled at the beginning of my wine educational journey and I give the credit to a really wonderful sommelier in the metro Detroit area her name's Lisa she was the sommelier and wine trainer for the restaurant group that I worked for and It's really funny. I got to go to one of the locations and do a training. And the night before, someone had popped a bottle of Silver Oak Cab and didn't like it. So sent it back. So Lisa, in her humble opinion, thought it'd be a really great way to teach us about what good wine is and how to learn about tasting wine so we started our class with a taste of silver oak so when I tell you I was spoiled from the beginning guys I was spoiled from the beginning 
I've been in the restaurant industry since I was 16 years old. I'll be 36 in March. I'm 20 years deep and I've done nothing but fine dining. And we're talking wine service, decanting services, you know, I've been in dining places where, you know, we cook and serve at the table. So I have experience and knowledge in a vast amount of wine in the in the restaurant industry. But all the time I'm completely blown away. So moreover as time's gone on, I feel like my palate has I don't want to say diminished, but my palate has wanted to lighten. It doesn't want those big, heavy, juicy, jammy cabs all the time. I found myself looking for something lighter bodied. Really got into Italian wine for a long, long time. I'm just now getting like really deep into French wines. And I'm noticing that I do like the elegancy of what old world style wine, which we'll talk new world, old world. That's going to be an entire episode in the future, but we got to get through some basic whites and some basic reds first. So, um, I found that I wasn't a huge fan of white wine. And I think that's because I wasn't exposed to really great white wines early I got exposed to the reds so I stuck to them and I was never really adventurous up until the last couple of years so what I started doing is in my wine clubs I would each time I ordered instead of getting a six pack with say five reds and one white I'd get two whites and I would make sure that I drank the whites. But I found myself always going towards like a Riesling. I don't mind the sweetness. If I'm gonna drink white wine, I want it sweet. And quite honestly, I have a Grand Traverse Late Harvest Riesling in my fridge at all times. And I got a pool in my backyard. So those two go hand in hand. But I was never a huge fan of like Chardonnay. I could love a Vignonier. Sauvignon Blanc was kind of a go-to, but I started to realize that I didn't really love Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc. I was starting to really like a Sancerre on a Sauvignon Blanc. So I guess what I'm getting at is I feel like white wine is more of an acquired taste than red wine is. I really do feel like white wine holds a different value, a different elegance, a different palette. Um, and today I think we're going to explore that a little bit. So let's take a just a quick step back. Let's kind of review what we talked about in previous episodes about the winemaking process. And remember last episode we talked about style and how we create wine and what the style is and adding sugar for taste in the fermentation process and what that gives you if it's a sparkling Moscato, a fortified dessert, a dry Muscat. But really what we needed to talk about and review is just that white wine making process. So again, white wine 
is fermented juice from the grapes. Now remember that all juice from a grape when squeezed is clear. So we're using the grape skins to create the color. So that means white wine can be any type of grape. It can be any color. They can be dark grapes, they can be light grapes. Um, more often they're more of that like greener grape. Um, you don't get really thick skinned grapes making white wine. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna crush the grapes first. Again, any color. And we're gonna squeeze all the juice from every bit of that solid. We're gonna put the juice in a vat that is a fermenting process and it's going to be cold and slow. White wine is cold and slow. And then from that point after it's fermented, it is ready to be bottled and poured. So very quick, very easy. Squeeze the, crush the grapes, squeeze those juices, ferment cold and slow, bottle and pour. Now remember we talked about sweetness and controlling our sweetness. We talked about adding the yeast and the residual sugars and the coldness of the yeast and the alcohol and how that reduces sugar. Concentrating the grape from the sun to make it more of a raisin. And then of course you can always um, with white wine do say malolactic fermentation to provide some creaminess to it. So as the winemaker, we've talked about this. We've made some, we've been exploring the decisions that we've needed to make about our wines, right? Okay, now let's jump in to actual types of white wine. Okay, now here's the deal. We have some wines that you're gonna hear every single day. Chardonnay, Riesling, Pinot Grigio, Prosecco, Champagne, Pinot Blanc comes up more often than not nowadays. Um, I actually had somebody recently um, at work ask me for a Pinot Blanc and ironically, I had a wine tasting prior, right prior to that and it was a Pinot Blanc so I got to give this girl a taste. Unfortunately, we don't have the bottles in quite yet because they're on order so um, Pinot Blanc is becoming a really popular grape. I am very partial to an Albarino. Um, we have one on my menu and I absolutely love it. It, it was something I'd never tried before. Great white wine. Um, Tarantes are becoming really popular. It's a nice classic Italian white. Um, on the Italian side, I'm obsessed and love an Arnace. Um, Muscat, Moscato, we're gonna go over the kind of different Muscats available. Um, again, a Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc, a Gruner, Chenin Blanc, Grenache Blanc. 
Grenache is a really cool grape, you guys. Grenache does a lot of blending, a lot of rosés, and does a blanc. The Grenache grape is a very, very varietal grape. And when we get into reds, we'll talk about that one a little bit more because it's more of a Grenache grape that I would want to talk about. Um, we'll touch on Grenache Blanc today. Roussans are fantastic. Gortstraminers. Vinoniers. Oh, Vinoniers are one of my favorite white wines. And Chardonnay for me... I, I think I have a love-hate relationship with at this moment. So I'll be real, real honest. I haven't liked Chardonnay my entire life. But I do a lot of tastings more now than I ever have. And I do tastings with Plum Market. And if you're from Michigan, you'll know, you'll probably know Plum Market. But otherwise, um, Plum Market is a, a market... It, area in Michigan and a couple other states but we have a wonderful master sommelier here Madeline Trafon and she is the events and wine coordinator for all of Plum Market there's a couple different locations and I happen to be halfway between the two so I go to these tastings all the time and I have been exposed to some of the most incredible Chardonnays and I'm going to have you write this one. It's Vasse Felice. V-A-S-S-E. F-E-L-I-Z, I believe. It could be X. Um, they're Chardonnay. They're Australian. And I had never in my life really loved a Chardonnay. Quite honestly, I never spent my own dollar bills on a Chardonnay. And I bought this one, you guys. I bought this one. I went home, and the next day I enjoyed the entire bottle. Now, here's the deal. I am not a huge drinker. I love wine. And I love wine because I love the study of it and what it is. But I'm not a huge wine, or I'm not a huge, like, alcoholic by any means. I don't really get, I don't drink to get drunk. I drink for the taste and for the knowledge and the power behind it. So I spit a lot of what I drink. So it's very, very rare for me to finish a whole bottle. And I'll be darned if that Chardonnay didn't just leak out of the bottle. You know, I don't know if you're a country song fan, um, but I love this song called Hole in the Bottle by Kelsey Ballerini and it says the hole in the bottle's leaking all this wine and the wine's gone before dinner time well I'll tell you what I've been severely impressed with some white wines recently so mapping out white wines and remember we talked about the weight and the flavor light to heavy mild to bolder flavors I'm going to run through a couple of those really quickly and we'll dive into a little bit more specifics on some of these. So when you talk flavor, let's go dead center of the flavor chain. Riesling, a French Vouvray, a French Sancerre, a white Bordeaux, Australian unwooded Chardonnay. 
That's my Vase Feliz. Australian Riesling. American Oak Chardonnay. Maybe a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. An Aust Austrian Gruner. Those are kind of right in that middle spectrum. You're going to get great flavors. You're going to get good body weight. Um, the Riesling, the Champagnes, the Albrinos, the Gruners, the Sinceres are going to be more on that lighter bodied side. Where the Chardonnays, the Vinoniers, the Gortstraminers, the Tarantes. Those are all going to be on that heavier side. Now something milder in flavor, but still with a little bit of weight is going to be a Chablis. Dial that back a little bit and you'll get a Pinot Grigio Prosecco. Prosecco being bubbly more often than not. Now on the bolder flavor side, in the lighter weight area you have a Moscato now Italian Moscato is a lot lighter than a California Moscato and at the top of that you're going to get like the sherries those heavy 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 flavors so some things to think about when we're talking about wine and white wine specifically. Underripe grapes share similar flavors. So the sun and the ripeness bring out different characteristics of the wine, right? Because we know that climate and wine is changed by the natural occurrences by the weather and the sun and the waters and things like that, right? So if we think about it as the, a lower ripeness to a really high ripeness, let's talk about some flavor profile in that. So on a lower ripeness side, we're gonna get that green pear, some crab apple, some lime, Maybe some green grape, some green apple, some honeysuckle, some lemongrass. Okay, now if we stay on the path and go straight forward, straight up that chain, right up the middle of your flavor profile, and we're going to get light to heavy, we're talking we're getting up to the Chardonnay, straight up to just pure high ripeness, okay? You're getting Chardonnays and your big bold Vinoniers and things like that. You're gonna get the green apple, but you're gonna get white peach, pineapple, melon, baked apples. Depending on whether it's aged in oak, you could get some of that spice again. Now on the other spectrum, your Sauvignon Blanc tends to be more of your medium bodied. And that is where you're gonna get that lime in your lemongrass, but you're also going to get grapefruit, passion fruit, sometimes guava. Now I said to you, 
I like a French Sancerre that's typically 100% Sauvignon Blanc to a New Zealand or a Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc. And I say that because for me, not a huge grapefruit fan. And I tend to think that you get a ton of grapefruit off a of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Not to say there's nothing wrong with it. Actually, Nebbiolo Sauvignon Blanc was like my go-to bottle for a very long time. But I really do love that heavier body, the passion fruit, the guava, the stone fruit, the melon, all of that because it just provides a little extra oomph, a little extra texture, an extra layer of flavor. And I really do think it gives me kind of just like an, an extra feeling. Wine strikes emotion. We will continue to say that every single time we're together. And I just really enjoy how a Sauvignon Blanc elevates the palate um, in different regions. So on the opposite spectrum from the Chardonnay and the Sauvignon Blanc, we have a Moscato. Now, Moscato, there's California Moscato, there is Italian Moscato, and some tend to be like bubbly, some are super effervescent. Um, it just depends on the process for Moscato, but it holds your green apple and your honeysuckle. Tends to have some like, like really, really ripe red peach. You'll get rose and roses. A lot of Moscatos tend to be super floral. You'll get a little bit of leche. Um, and I do sometimes get a little bit of creaminess depending on how they live on leaves, how long they're on leaves, how, if there's any mallow that happens. So just kind of keep those flavor profiles in your head because that's kind of what we're going to be in. We're going to be in the apples and the pears and the peaches and the honeys and the pineapples and the melons and passion fruits. Now, when we talk about fermentation process, we talked about how we ferment and what we're fermenting in. Is it going to be stainless steel? Is it going to be concrete? Is it going to be oak? Um, a lot of people do some oak and neutral oak and white wine is becoming very popular because it keeps the flavors, it allows for the density in the wine, but it doesn't really pull out a lot of oakiness per se. So having more of a neutral oak has gone a lot further for people. Now, since we talked about a few of these, let's kind of explore them a little bit deeper. So, I told you guys I really loved this Albarino at my work. And to, to some of you guys, you're going to be like, what the heck is that? Well, um, let's explore it a little bit. So, um, Albarino is typically a Spanish wine. Um, sometimes Argentinian 
or Chilean. Made in Portugal and the United States every once in a while. It's similar to, let's say, a Riesling, a Ferment, a Verdoge, a Vino Verde. Um, a lot of... It's going to be a lighter body. It's going to have some sweetness to it. But it's really high in acidity. You'll get notes of lemon zest, grapefruit, honeydew, nectarine. And it tends to be fairly inexpensive. What I loved about it is I have some really cool stuff on my menu, but it kind of caught through some of the saltiness on my menu. And it's also really kind of like that middle ground. So when it comes to like body and profile, people will come to me and ask, hey, I want a Riesling or I want a Pinot Grigio. And then the person next to them wants a Chardonnay. But they're like, oh, let's get a bottle of something different in between there. I find that the Albrino tends to be a very good middle ground between a really light and a really bold, big white wine. I also think that the grapefruit, the honeydew, and the nectarine really, really work well. But it's got some saltiness to it, and it works really, really well with the salt. Now, we talked about, I said Prosecco, I said Cava, and I said Champagne. All tend to be on the bubbly side. Now, I have a Cava at work, and I'd, I'd tried Cava before. I'd experienced Cava, but I hadn't had one like I have now. Um, ours is uh, organic. And it is absolutely fantastic. Has some lemon. Has some lime. A little bit of quince. There's a yellow apple. But the really cool thing I like about kava is it gives off some like tea and herbal notes. And then a little bit of nuttiness. So it's like a really awesome Wait, drink to pair with cheeses and we have a shark build your own charcuterie board at my work and I, I find that it's one of the coolest ones to like start people off with get some kava get some cheeses going and then kind of work your way through so um, I see the kava being like a champagne but for me it's a little bit I want to I honestly want to use the word thicker it, it tends to be a little bit it's a heavier body but it almost is like a a thicker and more I I want to say not as translucent more like a cloudy version of a bubbly I really absolutely love kava. You don't decant it. Um, you're going to spend 
20 bucks maybe on a cava. But it's a premier sparkling wine from Spain. And it's probably becoming one of my favorite whites at this point. Now on the other side of that is Italy. And Italy has a very popular wine called Prosecco, which is created from the Glera grape. But Prosecco tends to be a little bit less acidic, a little bit more sweet, and a lot light body. So I would see, say, you know, that transparency is where you're going to see this. You're getting green apple, you're getting honeydew, you're getting pear. Sometimes you get a little bit of creaminess, and sometimes it's almost like you're getting, like, the bubbly and carbonation effervescence from, like, a lager. So it's almost like you're drinking a beer, but you're not. Now, also know that we have French side of things, which is champagne. So, Cava, Spain, Prosecco, Italy, Champagne, France. Now, we've talked about that before. Champagne has its own way of being made. But Champagne 100% comes from Champagne, France. And Champagne is super high in acidity. And we've talked about the body. It can be dry. It can be a brute. It could be semi-dry. It could be semi-sweet tends to be super high in acid citrusy you get yellow apple but on champagne you're gonna get that creaminess you're gonna get the almond and then you get a little bit of toast and sometimes it's got this like honeysuckle off the back of it which is really really cool I've had some champagnes that they it just almost feels like a honey um, and I think that's really because of like the almonds and the creaminess that it comes in. But something to know about champagne, um, it is not always the cheapest. It can stay in cellars for up to like say 20 years or so. Most of the time it's made with Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, or Pinot Manure. And I would tell you that champagne tends to be one of those, like the, the most confusing because everybody thinks that they're getting champagne when they go to the store and then they don't see champagne on the bottle. So when you see a sparkling white, it's made in a similar way, but again, if it's not made and produced from Champagne, France. It's not Champagne. A few other grapes that I really like um, as we kind of explore the white wine parameters. Um, I really love a Chenin Blanc. Again, high acidity, the yellow apples, the pears, the honey, the chamomile. I, I guess I really kind of lean towards those flavor profiles but what I really love about Chenin Blanc is that it's made 
all over the place. We're talking Mexico, Australia, Argentina, the US, play all different places in France. It's very popular in South Africa, New Zealand, Thailand, Italy, Chile, Spain, Israel. Chenin Blanc is a pretty versatile white wine grape. Um, it is easily grown in a lot of different areas. It can be super rich and kind of off dry where you're going to get some of that pear and honeysuckle and orange blossom. Chenin Blanc tends to also be lean and dry so you can get some of the pear, a little bit of ginger, maybe tarragon. And you can make Chenin Blanc into a sparkling. So you could make it a, a dry brut, a demi sec, so kind of fruity, maybe a little off dry. Put some honeydew melon in that. It's lemony. You could have like the lemon curd and creaminess to it. So I touch on Chenin Blanc because it is so versatile. It's also a really good blending grape. So you are going to find a lot of the times there's really great white wine blends out there. And Chenin Blanc tends to be one of those white wine grapes that blends heavily with others. And I mean, that's really not a bad thing. So since we're on the, the blending of things, and I really kind of want to dive into Chardonnay for just a second, because when you're talking about blending grapes, you're talking about taking different types of juice, putting them together, fermenting them together, um, and really creating something extraordinary. And what I find as I really dive into Chardonnay is that it's an exquisitely extraordinary grape itself. Chardonnay can do so many things. And again, it's the winemaker's way. It's what the winemaker creates. But you're looking at Chardonnay being grown in even more places than a Chenin Blanc. Chardonnay is probably the most popular white wine grape. But it, it grows everywhere. Okay, let's talk about this. Moldova, Argentina, Spain, South Africa, Chile, Italy, Australia, United States, France, New Zealand, Hungary, Russia, Austria, Germany, Canada. Chardonnay grows everywhere. Chardonnay is also moldable. It's flexible. It can kind of shape into a lot of different things and with malolactic fermentation or life on lees, there's so many things that you can do with them. But tends to be that medium alcohol, a lower acidity. It, it's a little bit of a, a medium to a, a 
a full body. You know, some Chardonnays are really, really heavy Chardonnay. You're going to get really low sweetness and little to no tannin on, on a white wine anyways. Also know that a Chablis, it's from Burgundy, France, is a Chardonnay. You tend to get yellow apple, star fruit, pineapple, vanilla, butter. Now people always ask, do you have a buttery Chardonnay or an oaky Chardonnay? The really cool part is there are some that are ex one extreme to the other. But nowadays, a lot of people are going really neutral oak, like I said. And that Vase Felice Chardonnay that I talked about a little bit earlier. Man, that thing is buttery. <laughs> it is um, almost like you took a big handful of movie theater butter popcorn and just popped it in your mouth. And I'm talking buttery. It is delicious. Um, Chardonnay tends to be higher on the aroma factor. Um, it tends you tend to spend between fifteen to sixty bucks on a decent Chardonnay. I would keep it in your cellar five, maybe ten years. A lot of Chardonnays tend to drink a little younger. Um, in comparison, Roussans, Vinognes. The Chenin Blancs, those are kind of comparable, but Chardonnay is its own. It really gives its own. It can, it can be so many flavors. I mean, hazelnut, roasted almond, a little bit of toffee. I mean, it could, it could range to you know, dried figs, star fruits pineapples and mangoes you can get into the melons and the pears and the peaches and the apricots sometimes it's got some citrus notes like lemons and limes I've had some Chardonnays that have some honeysuckle and some white blossom now I get honey a lot when I get into Chardonnays and Chenin Blancs and things like that I just I find that a lot of white wine leave honey notes for me um Maybe not intentional. Maybe that's just my nose and my palate. Um, but, uh, I mean, you can get a lot. Toast, you can get some chalk, you can get some saline. It also depends, you know, if it's if it's in a steel tank um, and, and it's fermented in steel. Like, you'll get some of that steel and that crispness from it. Um... Your French Chablis tend to hold the star fruit, the lemon peels, and the white blossom. Your California Chardonnays tend to be more of that pineapple, lemon zest, nutmeggy. Um, and then Western Australia tends to be white peach, tangerine, honeysuckle, vanilla, lemon curd. Like I said, the one I had, the Vase Felice, was vanilla, was honeysuckle, was buttery and absolutely delicious um so i would say chardonnay is probably your most acquired taste with white wine but i say dive into it try something new you know 
speaking of trying something new, let's talk about a Gortz Draminer. Um, on a whole nother spectrum, we're getting, you're, I mean, we're going mainly German, and it's a very European wine. Gortz Draminer is made in Alsace, France. It's in Italy in the Alto region. Um, United States does it. Australia, Czech Republic, Canada, Ukraine. Um, you get it in Germany a lot. A Gorchtraminer you think would come mainly from Germany comes a lot from France. Um, but tends to be on the side of, say, a Muscat Blanc, um, uh, Tarantes. But a Gorchtraminer has some seriously floral aromas. It tends to be on the sweet side, really low in acidity, acidity, medium bodied, nice high alcohol level, tends to be flavored in, uh, like I said, a little bit of floral. But you get the leche, you're gonna get a little bit of grapefruit, tangerine, and some of them, do leave kind of like a ginger note on the back end, which I find to be really cool. Um, I love a Gorchtraminer. I think it's a really good play to a Riesling or Pinot Grigio. Um, I really think it's a good play to those who are getting into white wines and want to kind of explore something a little bit different. Um, but it's on the sweet side. So it tends to give you that, you know, I want to drink more. It's got that, that acidity where your mouth kind of waters for it. Um, which I, I mean, I, I think a Gorchtraminer, and let's, let me spell that for you. G-E-W-U with the two dots above it. Don't quote me on what that is because I never took German. R-Z-T-R-A-I, or I'm sorry, M-I-N-E-R. So G-E-W-U with the two dots, R-Z-T-R-A-M-I-N-E-R. Now what you guys might have just caught there is my slight dyslexia, which I find funny because I am definitely seeing it more as I get older. <laughs> Um, now, since we're talking about the sweet side of things, we talked about Moscato. Now, Moscato is Moscat Blanc, and Moscat Blanc is sweet. We're real sweet here, honey. Real sweet. Tends to be medium acidity, low in alcohol, light in body. Tends to be a little bit bubbly. Um, you're gonna get orange blossom, like really sharp Meyer lemon, mandarin oranges, ripe pears, honeysuckle. Now, Muscat is made all over the world. Very, very predominantly in Italy. And you're gonna see Moscato Diosti is gonna be a really popular Moscato that most people will come across. Now that's your mandarin oranges, your honeysuckle, your lemons, your rose petals, your vanilla beans. 
tends to be really low in alcohol by volume, somewhere in the 5 to 7%. Um, but is really popular for those who are getting into wine and are not sure. Um, really great pairing for your sweets. I won't lie to you. I've had couples before had... I had this couple... Wow, they were really fantastic. But they ordered a bottle of champagne. And ordered like three different steaks. I was working at a steakhouse at the time. And I looked at them and I said, Do you want a red wine with your steak? And they said, No, we're, we specifically got that champagne bottle because of the steaks that we're ordering. And I'm like you're kidding right like you're drinking a champagne with a steak listen don't knock it till you try it they slivered me off some they gave me a little taste and I was I was shocked and in awe so as we progress forward we're going to talk about food and wine pairing and I'm going to bring on some friends who do like charcuterie and things like that to kind of build our own charcuterie boards and talk meats and cheeses and things like that um but but let me tell you I didn't realize what a sweet Muscat or Moscato could really do. Um, a French Alsace Muscat has a little bit more perfumey notes, lemongrass, coriander, and nutmeg. So it tends to be more of that off-dry side. And in Australia, they do a really good Muscat as well. Um, but they tend to be deeper in color. They tend to have caramel, candy cherries, coffee, sassafras, vanilla bean. They're much more rich in flavor. And again, sometimes bubbly, sometimes not. Pinot Blanc to Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris. Um, you're getting into very similar waters with the Pinots. Um, but what I can tell you is a Pinot Blanc tends to be much more German. Um, it is a Pinot Noir kind of mutation, I guess I would say. Um, so it's pear, it's peachy. You're getting the lemon zest, the raw almonds. But what you might also get is like the soil composition or like a gravelly taste to it. On the other side of that, the Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris. And when I say Pinot Gris, it's G-R-I-S. Is also a mutation of a Pinot Noir grape, you could say. But it's a little bit more zesty. It's going to have more of the white peach and the cantaloupe. And what I tend to find is that the Pinot Blanc is a little bit creamier, where the Pinot Gris tends to be more like stone fruity and lemony and apricotty. Um, I will also say this. 
Pino Grigio for me leaves this like funky, tingy aftertaste in the back of my mouth. And I think that's the more the crushed gravel and the sediments and the minerality that it leaves. But it doesn't always tend to get me. So if I were to pick, I would pick the Pinot Blanc versus the Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio. So I kind of mentioned earlier about the Riesling that I really, really love. And Michigan does really, really, really great with Riesling. So I like the sweetness. Like I said, cool, backyard. Love to just kind of float with a sweet one. But a Riesling tends to be super sweet. Lime, green apple, kind of waxy, like beeswax style. There's always a little bit of jasmine. It's very popular in Germany. Again, very popular in Michigan. Um, I think it's a very good beginner wine. Um, it, it tends to go from Moscato to the Riesling into let's say that Pinot Grigio and so on and so forth to get to your heavy body bodies like your, you know, Grenache Blancs and your Gwarzstraminers and your Roussans and Vinoniers. But Riesling is very apricot -y. You get lemon zest, you get some beeswax. Sometimes you get a little bit of like wet slate with it which is normal. Um, when it's from France, especially the Alsace region in France, um, it tends to be more lemon, limey, green apple-like, but you're gonna get like hints of smoke off the back end with that. In South Australia, you get lime peel, green apple, some green papaya, jasmine, and a little bit of diesel so you'll get a little bit of like petroleum when it comes to Riesling don't don't fear anything it's not anything bad it's just kind of a distinction that a Riesling has on the other side of that again we have Sauvignon Blanc Sauvignon Blanc very popular from New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, very popular from France. You're going to get gooseberry. You're going to get honeydew. You're going to get grapefruit, white peach, passion fruit. It definitely depends on where it comes from, what flavors you're getting. Um, again, France and your New Zealand, especially Marlborough, New Zealand, tends to be your you know most predominant when it comes to where it grows and its production but it does grow everywhere argentina hungary austria spain romania australia united states south africa chile again new zealand france um moldova um from the french say loire valley for sauvignon blancs you get lime gooseberry grapefruit some smokiness and a little bit of slate. We're on the New Zealand side. You get that passion fruit, the kiwi, uh, jasmine, ripe pear. And on the California side of things, you're getting white peach, lemongrass, kind of uh, 
buttery bread, I guess I would say. So it tends to be more oaky on that side too. So um, Sauvignon Blanc is just really cool, um, but very distinct in different areas. Another great grape that comes from all over, very predominant in France as well as Semillon. Um, it's similar to a Riesling, I would say, um, or like a Fruli or an Arnais. Um, Semillon tends to have a mild acidity, alcohol and body. They're all very balanced. Um, lemon, beeswax, some peachiness. Um, tends to hold for that saltiness as well. So similar to a Chardonnay in the richness of it, um, but really cuts with, you know, fish and things. Again, Semillon is like a Chenin Blanc. Tends to be a powerful blending grape. Um, it really rounds things out. It gets a very, I guess I would say, rounded finish for wine. Um, I have this really awesome South African blend at work and I really do think that the Chenin Blanc just makes this a perfectly balanced wine. And the Semillon inside of it brings kind of these extra notes and, and layers and textures. Kind of in that same realm with the balance. Um, and this is a Spanish grape that I, or Argentinian, sorry, Argentinian grape that I've just recently been exposed to is Tarantes. Really exquisite wine, lemony, peach. It's got some floral notes like rose petals, geraniums, and it leaves a little bit of a citrus zest in the end, um, but very predominant in Argentina. And I just now got into this white. I love this stuff. Um, it, it leaves more to be desired because it's got like spices, it's got fruits, it's super aromatic with herbs. It's just a really cool layered wine. So if you can get your hands on a Tarantes, I would T-O-R-R-O-N-T-E with the tilde S. Um, really, really great white wine that I wanna explore more into. And one of my all time white wine favorites and this is the one I'm going to finish with today is Vinonier. I love a Vinonier. I think the acidity is low. Um, I love the flavor profile. The alcohol tends to be high. It tends to be in that medium sweetness so it's not overwhelmingly sweet. It's a mid-body. It's not huge and heavy like a Chardonnay but it is absolutely like my go-to white wine as of right now um it's got tangerine it's got peach it's got mango it's got honeysuckle it's got rose it is really growing in popularity in california and australia and that's probably why i love this wine because i'm getting more exposure to it um started and very common in france uh australia again united states um Sonoma Paso, Washington, 
tends to be popular from Sicily, Italy, uh, South African, Argentinian, Chilean, uh, New Zealand. I mean, this wine is a absolutely fantastic, rich, very oily, very heavy. It's got almond. It's got citrus. It's almost like a stew pot of fruit. Um, again, very aromatic. It's got a lot of that herbal, um, a lot of floral notes to it, um, some spice notes. I just absolutely love Vinonier. So to kind of wrap things up, we've jumped around the scale today, and I love that we kind of got into some popular white wines and really kind of explore your options you know when you go to the store hit up the chilled section see what's available and even if they're not chilled grab them off the shelf see what you can find um what I do want to cover really quickly if we're talking about wine and progression and I want to I want to finish with this today because like I said, we've jumped around to a lot of different wines today and explored flavor profiles today on white wines. And I think we covered quite a bit of cool stuff today. But what we need to know is that wine is a progression. And if you are new to this and you want to start from the bottom and work your way up and really learn the palate and expand your palate and build your palate. You don't have to necessarily start in the white wine section. You don't have to start with sweet wines. Like I said, I started with a giant, big, bold Napa Valley cab, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but I also found it was very difficult for me to dial my palate back because I was looking for complexity and craziness, and I needed to learn what subtlety was and how to find different flavors in wine. So when you're talking about body and style and profile, you start on the white wine spectrum with the sparkling and you get all the way to white wines through reds and to dessert wines. So on the sparkling spectrum, if we go, we're gonna go lightest to heaviest, you're going Prosecco, then Cava, then Cremant, then Champagne. Lightest to heavier. Now just to cover a few, lightest to heaviest in the white wine of some things that we've covered today. Pinot Blanc, Albrinos, Muscat Blancs, Rieslings, then Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio, Tarantes, Chenin Blanc, the Gruner comes next, a Gruner similar to a Sauvignon Blanc. Then you get into Semillon. Arnais would come after that. A Grenache Blanc, a Gwurztraminer, your Roussan, your Vinonier, your Chardonnay. Now, Vinonier, again, tends to be that heavier-bodied profile, but I feel like sometimes you can find stuff, those on a lighter-bodied profile as well. So, again, really particular into that one. 
Now we're gonna hop into red wines next week. We're gonna do the same thing we did today next week. Um, so we're gonna talk about the wine making process real quick. We'll jump into a bunch of different red wine types um, and we'll get through to kind of get you to understand the white wine style or the red wine styles next week. So, um, hey, today was kind of cool. Um, let's we're jumping all around. We're learning about different types of wine. I hope this gives you an idea of when you go to the grocery store or when you are looking into your wine club and saying, hey, I really, really want to try something new and something different. Maybe some of these profiles that we talked about will jump off the page at you. Um, today's references, as usual, Wine a Tasting Course by Marnie Old. I pulled some pages out of the Wine Foley Master Guide today by Madeline Puckett and Justin Hammock. Um, always use a reference for my sommelier book and some of my own personal knowledge. Um, and of course, I like to tie in what I'm doing in my own world of wine and what I'm experiencing. So, hey guys, today was great. I hope you learned a little bit something extra. I'm hoping that there was some wines that you didn't know about today that you're intrigued by and you're curious about. And I hope that you go to the store and you buy something different next time. Um, I highly encourage you grabbing something you've never tried before off the shelf. If you don't like it, it's only 10, 15 bucks of you not drinking it or suck it up and drink it and try to make it out of something else. Um, I really, again, want to say thank you so much for being here with me again today. Um, we will continue these wonderful Wednesday conversations about wine I will also, again, give a shout out to PodCastle, the easiest platform to create a podcast known to man. I swear to you, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. So I was nervous at first. No, this is so easy. Um, thanks again. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Viva Porvino. And hey, I really encourage you that if you're listening and you want to touch base and you have some ideas or some questions or you just want to tell me about your experience, uh, I would love to hear more from you. So shoot me an email, hello at vivaporvino.com or slide into my DMs and I would love to chat with you more. So thanks for joining a sweet or dry day with a white wine glass that needed to be tried. I really appreciate your time and your listening ear. Cheers. Around here, we live for wine. See you next week.